Welcome to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Your host, Jesse Jameson, has a real treat for you. You are about to hear a great story. And if Jesse brings his A-game, some good commentary too. And later on, we'll let you know how you can join Jesse as a guest. Now, without further ado, here's Jesse. Welcome back to another episode of Jesse Jameson and Friends. <laughs> Today's friend is Marnie from Miami. And Marnie's story is different forms of abuse. Marnie, um, I watched a movie when I was younger. <clears throat> it was called The Burning Bed with Farrah Fawcett. Are you familiar with this story? Uh, the Bible. Okay, yes. right? This story was so freaky to me because I've seen abuse like that in real life. Some of it was alcohol driven, some of it wasn't, but I think many of us have seen little snidbits, but if you never have, check out maybe on YouTube, The Burning Bed. Even if you watch it for 15 or 20 minutes, it'll just give you chills, the horror that some people are living with to this day in this country. So Marnie, I don't want to give anything away because I don't really know too much about your story, but you're the youngest looking person I've ever seen that was born in 1970. You look like Thank you're 22, you. seriously. That's my take, trauma. <laughs> take, take us back to the beginning. What year are we kind of starting with? The floor is yours. Okay, let's go back to 1987. I had already had at that point four um, stepfathers and fa one father, three stepfathers. They had all gone. Um, my mother had developed a crack addiction when I was 16. And over the course of that year and a half, by the time I had just turned 17, May 1987, we were kicked out of the apartment we were living in in Aventura, Florida. Were you kicked out ultimately as a culmination of the crack? Because here's the interesting thing. If I'm 15 years old and my mom's not on crack and all of a sudden I'm 16 and she's a crack addict, that is such a huge difference to go from not having crack in your life to all of a sudden she's addicted. Did you see this downfall quickly or did she hide it? It seems like something that's darn near impossible to hide. It was actually to watch it unfold like you just explained my mother was always not your typical mother we were always very crazy but she was always up every morning when i got home from school she was always there and awake and doing mom things i noticed the deterioration i noticed her sleeping late people would come into our house our home at three in the morning and i would hear the microwave the boop 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 i didn't know what it was and then I got a call six months into it and they said, Marnie, your mother's on crack. She needs help. I did not know what crack was. I thought smoking cocaine was putting cocaine in a joint. I was very naive. I had no idea. So my mother denied it, of course. Through that year, my mother had a boyfriend who was paying for this beautiful apartment. The police had been called and my mother did not look like your typical drug addict. So she's throwing things over the balcony, her paraphernalia. I'm watching this with horror and she got away with it. The boyfriend who was paying for the apartment after a year paid off the guards and the valet in our building to see what was going on, who was coming in, who was going. And all um, May 1987, right before my 17th birthday, my mother, I just remember saying, we have to leave. And hold on. I got to pause this. This is an exciting story right off the bat. No, so let me, ask, let me no, ask you a question. No. I might have heard wrong, but it sounds like you said 
the boyfriend paid off some people around the complex, security guard, lawnsman, whatever, to keep tabs on your mom. Why would you have to keep tabs on your girlfriend, which I assume your mom was the boyfriend's girlfriend? Couldn't he just live there with her or did he have another wife somewhere or is there some, I, I want to get a picture, better picture for this. I'm sorry. Um, he was in the Jewish mafia. He was a lot older than my mother and she couldn't stand him. He supported her. She was with her crackhead boyfriend in Miami, Milton, the mafia boyfriend lived in New York. So he would fly us, my mother basically to Atlantic city um, every weekend or every other weekend. And he would see her there. He would get comped and, like at 14, I was at a dinner party with Diana Ross, with Steve Wynn. There's a picture of like me with Steve Wynn when I was 14. So my life was just crazy. So Milton, when my mother would stop answering the phone and wouldn't let him come in, and you could just hear the change, he paid people off. And he said, um, mm -mm, I'm not um, paying for this anymore. And that was it. We were kicked out. Was he, a, I hate to say this, was he like a cuck to your mom? Did he like her so much that she, he was okay with her having a boyfriend yes. on the side? No. My mother was married three times. Wait, my mother was married to Jay, Ronnie. He met my mother, Mary, right when she divorced my father. And he, she went through two husbands and he still took care of her. Okay, so, he, so your mom, I assume, very beautiful woman, hid her drug uh, addictions but she was so good at just uh, wooing men that in this case, he basically saw her as his Jewish princess, so to speak. Pretty much. Is that how it goes? Like, okay. So either way, this equates to a girl that's a teenager at this point, you, who's very, you're still somewhat naive and innocent, but God, that innocence is literally being poured right out of the cup. You've seen some crazy stuff, including paraphernalia being thrown out the window of an apartment. Mm -hmm. So she gets away with that. Is it good that she got away with that? Or is that kind of the start of a downfall? Start of a downfall. But before even that, I mean, I'm going to even take you a little bit back. My mother was, when, my bi when I was born, I didn't stand a chance, unfortunately, genetically um, for my whatever I was born with. My biological father left at four months old, went for a pack of cigarettes, cliche, and never came back. And my mother tried to um, kill herself when I was born. And she was put into a hospital and I went to live with my biological grandparents. My, um, my mother didn't like them. So she said to her mother, my grandmother, you take care of Marnie, me, and um, I don't want her with the other grandparents. So my grandmother went to see my mother at the mental hospital, and my mother was painting. And my grandmother was like, uh-uh, you're not doing arts and crafts, and I'm taking care of your two kids. My brother was five. And um, my mother never got help. So that was whatever. But then my mother got, my grandmother did not want us living with her one-bedroom apartment with my grandfather. It was an invasion of their space. They kicked their kids out to get married at 18. She didn't want to raise us. So the first available man who was single and 25 years older than my mother and had a house and he could breathe, my grandmother said, marry him. So I was 16 months old and I had eaten a whole bottle of Valium and um, almost died. 
And that's when my grandmother said, move out. So my mother married this man, Stanley Michelson, who adopted me legally as his daughter. And I put in the book, I was like a gift with purchase. Like he didn't really want the kids. He just wanted my mother. And um, so they got married. And then in 19, so I had a stable childhood for a few years until eight years old. My, I was told at eight, your father is gone. No one talk about it. No, let's go to therapy. Nothing. Which, which, fa- which father? Your this actual is father. Me. I never knew Barry, the biological one. I never knew him. He left at four months. Stanley became the other father who adopted me. That came with, I came with my mother. So they did an, a jewelry scam. They said jewelry was stolen, but they wore it in a picture. So my father went to jail. That's where he went. So I lived in a really beautiful three-bedroom apartment in Miami Beach, And then I'm told one day in third grade, oh, your father's gone and you have to move. And that was it. No one was allowed to talk about it. So we moved to a one bedroom apartment, my mother, my brother and I, and my mother was already completely psychotic, like over the top. Like to this day, I I don't talk to her toxic is toxic. And um, oh my gosh, it's crazy. So then I'm told my brother, my father's gone. So then um, I go to this new school and I'm just going to skip a year. Then I go to sleepaway camp. And everybody gets visitors. Now I'm 1980. They said to me, Marnie, you're not getting a visitor. Your mom is moving to Las Vegas. She just got married. What? Congratulations. Yeah. A new, a new stepdad in your life a from stepdad. a Las yep. wedding. So no rejoicing on visiting day. I get on a plane. I moved to Vegas. We lived there for one or two months. And then we moved to Philadelphia and Mafia Milton is in my mother's life at this point while she's married to number three husband. He opens up a restaurant and he used to beat the crap out of my mother. And she told Mafia Milton about it. And he had the restaurant blown up and he disappeared. Number three husband. I go back to camp. This time they say, you're going on the flight back to Miami. Your mother is now back in Miami. So my mother met husband number four. So there's a lot. This is so does, does your mom have like a, a an upbringing where in order to be with a man, she needs to technically marry a man? Like what? what, what we're is there, be, yeah, we're told to there, be whores, basically. Excuse it, my language. But is there no such thing as just being a girlfriend to your mom? It's it's all or nothing. All or nothing. But then, e, e, but then even when she's in a marriage, she doesn't have a problem stepping out of that marriage. So in, in a weird way, that's how a woman can abuse a guy just as badly as him oh, abusing her, she is right? so narcissistically scary. She's textbook narcissist. That's why every husband left when she wasn't there and they didn't have to see her and they all disappeared. They all disappeared. And she relapsed again when I had my daughter, when I was working as a casting director, my mother, it's just, there's so much that I always use. Well, hold on. Say- let's, let's not get it too much on your mom or on your childhood. So I want to take it to the point where you're 17, because when I was 17 for my senior year of high school, me and my girlfriend uh, got our own apartment. So I was one of these guys that my senior year of high school, I had my own apartment and I felt like an adult. Now that I'm a little bit older, I look back and say, God, I should have just stayed at home and been a kid I, for as long as I could. I was uh, robbed of my childhood. You were not. You chose to be an adult. I was robbed of my childhood. Right, right. And I had a fun life. It sounds like your life had a lot of drama in it. So give me, tell me about when you were maybe 16 and 17. I'm assuming, were you in high school? You didn't drop out. 
correct? I, I dropped out. I was supposed to graduate in May of 88. I was in New Orleans from January until March or April when I called this guy, Mark, to come get me. So I moved from New Orleans back to Florida, 1988, March, and I never graduated. So you didn't graduate, but are you like every other 16 and 17-year-old? Are you starting to become boy crazy? I was boy crazy. I had actually, I talk about the story that another thing where self-love is so crucial. I was a typical, he told me he loved me when I lost my virginity at 14. That's so young. I believed, oh, he loved me, but I, I looking back. Who's, why, who's, who's he? We don't know who he is. Who well, is he? He's Patrick. Patrick. Okay. Hold on. Don't, don't mention people's last names. I don't oh, want any no. troubles. Right. So let's look at this. So you meet this guy named Patrick. You're 14. Is he an adult already? No, he was um, 15. He was a year older. Okay. So he's just a, a horny teenager trying to get his first experiences with you. Um, if you look anything like you do now, I'm assuming you were really adorable back then. So it, was it love or was it one-sided? Did you find him attractive? He was, you know what the cool thing was? He was older. Like he was supposed to be in 10th grade when he was in ninth grade. So he had that older cool factor going to him, going for him. And it was like, cool, because I was a frizzy, awkward mess. I mean, this was not what's in the book. Like what I really look like was just God awful. So I was just grateful for any attention. And when he um, asked me to go to the junior high prom, this is just, I talk about this in one of my episodes because it's the way I thought at 14. He broke up with me the day before the prom. I got my black taffeta little dress. I'm all frizzy and chubby, but I thought it was great. And then they would film, like, um, you would watch the morning announcements on the TV. So they filmed the prom that Saturday night, and the girl was on his lap. And he goes, look, Marnie. And watching it on Monday morning, it was kind of humiliating. But then I said, oh, at least I was on your mind. So that right Now, hold on, Marnie, hold, hold on. See, this is the problem with boys and girls that get in relationships, we as guys think that what stuff that we did in seventh and eighth grade shouldn't really matter anymore. And as a guy, I have to agree. But Marnie has been hating parts of her life. And it all goes back to this jerk in eighth grade who had to get on video with somebody sitting on his lap. Marnie, on, on behalf of all the men out there, I want to apologize for eighth grade. What was his name? Patrick? Patrick, yeah. God, that SOB. And he got a piece of your innocence he did but he did okay but did you did you get pregnant or anything or were you able to get through that unscathed that one was unscathed okay so that one's still a somewhat good relationship from the standpoint of it sounds like patrick didn't backhand you and uh treat you mean so do we end up rebounding from patrick to maybe a worse person who comes after patrick after patrick i kind of stayed under the radar because I started not to get a reputation, but it was, I, it, it lost a lot of the credibility I had. Some friends looked at me different, just, I wasn't a bad girl, but I wasn't a slutty slut. So it was like that in between. So I laid low under the radar until December, 1985. And there was this cute boy, Richard, who was just a wholesome, wholesome boy. And he was cute. And I probably wrote him and said a note back then. It was 1985. And I said, you're cute. 
do you maybe want to like do something? I don't even know what I said back then. And I could not believe that he said, yes, like, do you want to go for dinner? Because like, I thought I was so gross and disgusting from what happened prior. That was that video I had sent you earlier, the bullying thing. So I thought I was worthless and disgusting. So I couldn't believe a boy would actually be interested in me. But once again, Marnie, you're talking about a memory from 35 years ago. So obviously every single boy in your relationship, you remember. Real quick quiz. Who was your third grade teacher? My third grade teacher was Miss Lazarus. God, For see. A few you months are, I was there. You are stuck in the past. And Lazarus, what a name, huh? So yeah. we, have, we have about a minute before we go to break. After Patrick, who is the next guy? What is his name? Just his first name. Richard. Richard. Okay. And then Richard, is he going to be abusive or is he going to be nice? We're going to go to break, but just, is he going to be abusive or nice? Yes. Nice. This is wonderful. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to hear a little bit more about this nice guy. Be right back. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. When it comes to financial planning, most of us would probably rather have a root canal. Math, budgets, keeping ourselves and our loved ones secure after retirement, planning for retirement, risk, reward, and the like. How do you find the answers you need? Tune into Fiscal Fitness with John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina. They'll help you feel more secure in your investments and your future. Listen every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear, and listening could definitely change your life. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you tired of feeling disconnected and shut down? Since every choice has ripple effects, lasting happiness is a product of the choices we make each day. Tune in to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. Lori Ann Rising and Uncle Mark Olmstead introduced you to authors, musicians, artists, and innovators, all actively engaged in designing a world that works for everyone. Make sure you're along for the ride, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. For tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. 
So Marnie, this is really cool. Even though you've had a, a tough life, you started off with a somewhat nice boyfriend that kind of did a cruel thing in eighth grade. But let's 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 give him a little lenience because that was in eighth grade, right? And that was a long time ago. Let's not hold it against him forever. Your second boyfriend is Richard. He's a nice guy too. Now, the reason I bring this up is obviously you're starting off on the right foot. Um, so tell me a little bit about Richard. Nice guy. Richard, it was just a very wholesome 1985, 1986. He got his driver's license. I got my driver's license. It was what was going on in my house. The dysfunction made Richard a wonderful boyfriend. I would go to his house after school. We would do homework together. Because of him, I was able to get through 10th grade. And it was a, it was a good, um, good stability for me. He was a good boy. His mother looked out for me, made me dinner. It was a very sweet relationship, but then um, it got old and I was going through problems and I cheated on him when I was away in Virginia Beach and told him about it. And I was about to be, this is when I was 17. I had met him right um, May, I'm, I'm sorry, I met Richard December 1985 and we broke up May 1987. So, so that one, that one's kind of, that one's kind of your fault because you cheated on him. But here's yeah. the way, here's the way I look at cheating for young people. If you're cheating with him because the whole time you're with him, it just never really felt like, you know, the best. Um, because sometimes in high school, there's not even sex involved, right? Sometimes you might just be kissing people. Uh, they're your boyfriend, so to speak. And then all of a sudden you meet somebody else, you're kissing on them. So technically you're cheating, but you might not really be cheating. Did you and Richard, not to be too personal, but were you guys, were you guys like sexually active where it was really cheating? Did you go on this vacation and really cheat on a kid? You know, it was um, Richard, his heart was broken because he lost his virginity with me. The, where I was visiting is someone who was one of those family friends, you know, fam friends. And this, he was David, who I was very close to, who was the most romantic person. And I was flattered by David's looking at me and showing me a different kind of attention. And I felt bad, but you weren't sorry, Richard, but David's doing the romantic letters. And I was just grateful for anybody talking to me. So David, and I Arnie. Started I want yes. you to be, I want you to be honest. Yes. David is this new guy that's making you cheat, mm -hmm. but, but we all know that girls can't be made to cheat oh, unless, no, I chose unless they're either seduced or they do the seducing. Now here's my, here's, here's what I found out in life. Yes. The girls that cheat, it's usually because they ended up doing the seducing. Tell me I'm wrong. You are spot friggin' on. God, Marnie. <laughs> so here's the thing that's really tough. When I was young, I had a big crush on like Alyssa Milano mm -hmm. from Who's the Boss? Yep. And I think Leah Remini or whatever her name is, I think she was also on Who's the Boss for a little bit. And for, okay, I for just a fun fact. Like everybody used to tell me that I look like Leah Remini from. Um, right. So, so I'm picturing you hitting on me as a 17 year old kid. And I'm like, I want to be a good Catholic boy and I don't want to break this other guy's heart, but yeah. Okay. I'm fine with it. Is that kind of what happened? You hit on this exactly. kid that, Oh my God, you look like Leah Remini. Give me kisses. And you, you kept. Yes. And, and it's now, and now you're kind of blaming him when in reality, it's, it's kind of your oh, fault. It was my fault completely. I sat and I remember sitting on the couch, starting to tickle his arm. 
Come on. Okay, so now, okay, so from this point of the story, let's just all agree it's almost always women's fault. So when does when does Richard get the heave ho? He he gets the heave ho literally. While he got it when I got it. When I got kicked out of my apartment, it was like by Richard, by Marnie, by everything. And now I'm in a whole different crazy world of just trying now to survive. So and now I- you got to worry about homelessness, right? Is your mom and dad no longer a spot that you can go back to? I never, well, I didn't have a father. It was just my mother and I, and not, no rel- not a relative wanted me. I had an aunt down here who didn't want me. I went to friends' houses. I stayed for two weeks at one house, two weeks at another house. And then I went- But Marnie, to- my, my mom's the type that I could go to her studio apartment. Not that my mom has a studio apartment, but I could. And, right. I, could say, and I could say, mom, can you do me a favor? And she'd say, what? And I'd say, can you get off the couch? I'm going to sleep on your couch <laughs> in her studio apartment. And she would let me. Could you, did you have that relationship with your mom or was it severed? Oh my God, severed. It was severed and re-severed and buried. And not only that, but nobody, like relatives wouldn't even do that for me. And that's why I was shipped and moved to New Orleans, December, 1987. Now, wait, you couldn't you couldn't be shipped. You either had to make a decision to leave or you took the counsel of one of your family members that said there's some place for you to go in New Orleans. People don't get shipped for no good reason. So I wasn't put in a box. I was told that's where you're going to go live. And and when you go there, are you going to visit a relative or are you going to visit a boyfriend that's going to take care of you? No, my brother lived there. He was an officer. And he really was not ready to have me there because he was half pothead, half officer. And it was just complete infringement upon his chilled out life. It's not what he wanted. His He's system. Sergeant Dan. He's he, Sergeant Dan from. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was just. He not- sounds like my type of, of military guy, right? A real chill right? back, smoke this. So did he end up introducing weed to your life or was it I, more of an awkward, like, don't bother him? Back at that time, he just had this bong that was like the size, like a five foot bong. And I was just so traumatized by the paraphernalia that kept flying over the balcony that I didn't want to look at it. But I remember before I left, there was this guy, Mark, that I was talking to. And Mark, um, I knew was a little bit um, different. He wasn't like your typical neighborhood kid that just went to sports and clubs. Mark had a very bad gambling addiction. He had stolen, he was 17 years old and had already stolen his brother's um, bank account money, his sister's money. He was really really bad at gambling and give me an i give me an idea is there casinos he's sneaking into or is does he have a bookie and he's making gambling bets on football games he's 17 yeah oh, you've got you've got an interesting life for high school holy uh, holy yeah uh-huh i know i went to the school of hard knocks i was the valedictorian of that um mark did both bookies and down here in miami highlight do you know that game it's like a ball and they it's like a scoop yeah. ball it's like and they used to bet on that so his thing was high lie so I said to him will you please come get me from New Orleans I am not happy here I didn't know I had no it was such a culture shock from Miami to there so Mark um, I my aunt that did not want me to live with her had given me a car it didn't mean no purpose once Mark drove it out because I didn't stay in New Orleans I asked Mark to take me away 
we get into his car that he, um, I don't know how, I don't remember actually what car it was, but I remember we went to Orlando driving from New Orleans. I just wanted to go back to Florida. All right. So let me ask, let me ask you a question. Because yes. I'm really interested in like the things that you've gone through, but you travel so much for the f- for the rest of the story. Could we like not matter on where you travel to? Is Mark uh, is Mark the start of the abuse? Yes. Okay. Did his abuse have anything to do with his gambling addiction? Yes. Right. So he loses some gambling bets, and before you know it, he's selling you off to his friends. Am I right? (laughs) So I happen to have been um, very heavy at this point. My weight was probably 165 pounds-ish, 5'2", 5'3". And so when Mark picks me up and we now have an apartment, we didn't have money. So I slept on the floor. Um, I remember eating Kraft macaroni and cheese. Like that was all, when I say he would feed me, I was in complete he was in complete control. Then I noticed. How did you get so fat? Were you <laughs> so wrong? No. For, I apologize to all my listeners at home. I'm not that way. But no, 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 no. you said you were beautiful, gorgeous Leah Remini. And now I'm picturing this five foot two little, I don't know, okay. Parker eating good. macaroni and cheese on the ground. I became Leah Remini in my late 20s to 30s. This is like, um, I'm here now, 17, 18, 19, frizzy, a mess. And Mark was just too fat. This, whatever name I was called. Oh, my God. So when I when I say Tubbo and Chunky, I'm basically just making you relive this trauma. I apologize. I thought oh, we no, were but those cool are like that. Okay, so check this out. This is where the trauma kind of it doesn't necessarily start because you've had trauma since the beginning but this is where you finally have a guy kind of telling you to your face stuff that you shouldn't really say it's hurtful stuff you know you're fat you're not pretty anymore you're this that and the other your breath (laughs) i always have to throw in something goofy Um, but but does he reach (laughs) does he reach a point where he's starting to gamble you with his friends or does he reach a point where you're going to throw your opinion in and you've got a backhand coming your way. Tell us, Marnie, is there a backhand coming? Oh, I wish. Well, yes, there was. <laughs> um, here's the thing. I was working at a daycare center and Mark would take my paychecks and that was it. Mark was working at a gas station, mini Mart. So when you would come in and say, Hey, $50 or $20 on pump number four, he would say, okay. But instead of putting the money in the register, he'd put it in his pocket. And now, wait a minute, Marnie. If I get my paycheck and bring it home to my girlfriend, my fiance, my wife, that's love. Are you telling me that when you give your man your boyfriend and he you know, says, thanks, fatty, that's not love? No. no. Oh, OK. All right. See, I want all the women to know in the future. Don't take my paycheck and call it love. I'm not going to accept that. It's, I'm not going to accept it anymore. Marnie, you're not going to accept it anymore. It was horrible. Ben? Don't give anybody your paycheck. No. You know, in, in my show last week, I described how I gave half of my poker winnings to my wife because she was mean to me. Why do we always give so much to people that are mean to us? Exactly. So he's taking your money. He's calling you names. You're kind of living a subservient life, I'd imagine. Did you kind of have a crush on him or, or do you, you know have what? to have a crush on somebody to take that abuse? 
I liked him when I met him in Miami. Now I had nobody to ever love me. So the part of him that was kind to me, I grabbed onto, but I remember the first, you know, bruise on my arm. And I remember being locked on a balcony. I remember hunching over, you know, and that certain loud sounds that I didn't realize were triggers up until recently had to do with certain emotions or sounds that came back from that. And then I got the chicken pox when I was 18, living with him, sleeping on the floor and eating macaroni and cheese and getting hit. But it was the best. It was all I had. I mean, sometimes, sometimes girls that tweak and they start getting zitty, they want to blame it on chicken pox and shit. Now tell me, are these chicken pox or are you just picking your face and No, those were 18-year-old chicken pox. That was weird. I never had it as a child. And lo and behold, it just popped from working at the daycare center. Marnie, next week I'm going to be talking to Kristen Harper. She's a friend of mine. I'm going to be talking to her about she's anti-vax. I, I told her that, you know, I can't bring my kids over to your house because you're not immunized. Marnie, what are you doing getting chicken pox at 18? Didn't you get a chicken pox vaccine or go to a chicken pox party when you were five like the you rest of us? You would think everybody else was covered with the spot medicine, not me. I was always like, oh, I don't have any chicken pox scars. I'm cool. Never had it. Of course, in my life, I had to get it when I was 18, like, every, like the most abnormal time. You ever... Yeah. You ever see those really beautiful girls from India and they have that red, like ruby dot on their forehead? <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's gorgeous. I've always thought it was really pretty. It really would, you know, it's really just kind of a pimple or a blemish if you think of that. Right? <laughs> but it looks good. Glamorous ones that let's just make it a little more pretty and just probably put lipstick on it or something. So sometimes I'll see young couples and the guy and girl will start off with a play argument. And then before you know it, they're choking each other, not even in a mean way, in a playful way, but they're starting to put hands on one another and wrestle. And I always get worried whenever I see couples do that because I think that they're one bad intention or bad word or little argument away from snapping and hitting. Did that happen with this guy? Because obviously he's calling you names. He's taking your money. When people take you, your money and call you names, you tend to retort back. No, you son of a beep. I'm not giving you nothing. Get away from my purse, right? Did he ever wrestle it away from you and, you know, put an elbow in your back? He beat the shit out of me. Um, is, is, I don't remember a lot from that time. There was so much trauma drama going on, but I remember bruises on certain parts of my body. I just, I cannot believe when I look at who I am today that, that I was so desperate for any kind of validation. Like, I'm sure he said, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And I forgave him. And then after months there, we moved back to Miami and the abuse got worse. How long and were you with him altogether? How many years? Not years. I think I was with him um, 88. Um, when I was 19, it ended. So it was just that one year. It so this once again goes to all the guys out there, you know, nine times out of 10, you're going to be stronger than your girl. But nine times out of 10, your girl's going to want to still stand up for herself and argue. This is where I urge you to leave the house, leave the apartment, take a walk, be the bigger person and don't lay hands on a woman because the shattering effects that it have uh, has on a person 
are just huge. Marnie, you feel honestly like you're stuck in this 18-year-old mental kind of life, even though, you know, you can do the math from 1970 to 2020, you're pushing 50. But the reason I say that without any apprehension is you honestly look like you're 22. It's the most bizarre thing. People will see it. If you go on the e-card beneath my show and click on the e-card, ladies and gentlemen, you can see a picture of Marnie and her youthful look. Um, Marnie, here's the interesting thing. Women do get stuck. Uh, Many of them get stuck in their 30s because they're just going through a divorce for the first time. Many women get stuck, uh, you know, when the father of their child leaves them. You, I think, got stuck in a really early age. And it's really kind of tough because obviously you're at an age now where you shouldn't be worrying about stuff that happened when you were 17 and 18. But that's easier said than done. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about a line of abuse that started happening from this point forward. So we'll be right back. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. In business, many leaders have a great vision, but find their companies are lacking adequate execution. Transformative Experts with host Chris Elias takes you behind the scenes with real-life business leaders and transformative experts who can pinpoint why. Listen to learn how company culture drives execution to optimize results. How can you afford to miss it? Tune in live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you ever been interested in technology or the application? Technology is always changing and there is definitely a place for you in it. Listen for Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. Sharon and her guests teach you the skill set and present resources that help you incorporate and enhance technological know-how in your current career as well as prepare you for future success. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thanks for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and friends. Okay, so Marnie, you're starting to get into an abusive situation with this Mark guy. Continue your story. It was scary as hell. And I remember it was a Saturday morning. I was 19 years old, we're living in Miami, and I was on the corner floor of the bedroom getting literally the shit beat out of me. And I can remember the sounds like the, 
And I called my aunt and uncle and they called a friend of theirs who was a police officer, um, like, a, like a sergeant or something. And he came, took Mark away and I was finally free, free from Mark. But now I'm back to being homeless. What do I do? Um, it was just an array of jobs just to survive. And then now, I- now, when I think of a homeless person, especially somebody young, were you starting to get to a point where like, could you still shower every day or are you literally starting to look scuzzy and like, you know, begging for change? What is homeless to you? Because when I think of a homeless person, I'm thinking of somebody that's not just in between houses living with friends. I mean, did you experience true homelessness or did you have to sleep on buddy's couches? I went from people's couches. There were few nights sporadically, even when my daughter was born, where I slept in my car for maybe a night. But for most part, it was trying to find a place to live for three weeks, a month. I, I was a gypsy is basically what it was. And then um, I see cutie cute guy and I'm like, oh, we were each um, with relationships and we got together. I got pregnant and he was not going to leave his relationship. And when I say relationship, I say. Now, Marnie, there's one thing about you that I find pr- problematic. Mm-hmm. You're constantly attracted to guys that are already taken. And you seem to be okay with hunting for them when you're already in relationships. That's one of those things that as a friend on Jesse Jameson and Friends, I have to say is a flaw. Because what you're basically telling people is that. I really am good at picking up people or guys when I'm already taken. Um, When I was married and had a wedding ring on, it was crazy how many random girls would come up and say stuff like, oh, too bad you're married. And they'd say these little things and it was almost like, are they really wondering if I'm okay talking to them even though I'm married? Did you not really have a sense of my body is for my person I'm in a relationship with? Well, I don't like flirt to, it was more of basically survival. Like I just wanted to be loved. I'm sorry, not survival, validated and loved. So anybody that would show me attention, I was, I will take it no matter who it was. If you to, agree- to, the, to this day. So when you reach out to somebody and you tell somebody they're good looking, you're kind of hoping they see you in the same way. No, now it's a whole different, Marty. Now that I'm 50 and it's a whole different of self-love and everything else, if I told somebody they're cute, just, just, it's just an observation, but nothing with it. But I have a feeling that I'm very flirty, but not trying to be flirty. Like I could say to someone, oh, you look so handsome today. And I don't mean to, fl- it's not, I don't want to flirt. I'm just being honest. And my ex-husband used to say, why are you flirting? Like, but I'm not flirting. I just said, Somebody looks handsome when you always see them in shorts. So my friendliness gets misinterpreted a lot as flirting. Sometimes I flirt, sometimes I don't. But for the most did, part. Did any of your relationships that were violent, did any of it ever happen because maybe a boyfriend did suspect that you were cheating or had a wayward eye? No, I was the most loyal when I was married. The reason I got married the reasons were for survival. And I was at the, I was beholden to my ex-husband. I needed him as a father figure. I needed him as a friend. I needed him as a husband. I needed him as a partner. I needed him as a banker. I needed him to support me. So I asked this one person to take on a role of everything. 
but he wasn't what I would go, what I would be with the morning I am today. And it all comes back to loving ourselves, what I allowed myself to put up with. I spent a lot of years blaming my ex-husband, Jay, you did this and you would, the way you spoke to me and, and demean me and, and tell me it's your job to do this and why are you so lazy? I allowed myself to put up with that before I loved myself. Had I loved myself, I would never be in situations to be spoken to like that. So I can't put blame on anybody until I woke up and realized I have to fix Marnie and love myself and not seek for outer love. But when I was in my marriage, I'm a very loyal, loving wife, but there was too much. There was a lot of resentment. My husband did not want to get married. I happened to have gotten pregnant, but we were not a couple and forcing somebody to be a couple because you got pregnant. I mean, we were together 20, um, 22 years and it was a very volatile relationship. Like you said earlier. Now, Marnie, that's super impressive. Even though it was volatile, you guys were married for 22 years or together all together for 22 years, 22 years. This March will be 22 years, but you guys aren't together now or you are. We're divorced now. We were married, divorced and married again. When was the last time you guys were together? Um, as a family or as like a couple, couple, couple as, a, like, as a couple. Oh, I can't remember. He, he stopped wearing his wedding ring when we were even while we were still married. Like I, I can't even remember. Now, do you have, do you feel like you have any curses on you? Sometimes I go through life and I think maybe I've got a mild curse on me. Do you think that, do you think you might have a little curse action going? I had spells, voodoo dolls, everything. I, I fixed them. There's no more curses on me. I cured it. I, I stopped them all. And it's called looking in the mirror and loving yourself and realizing the only person I need to make happy is the one that I look at. And it doesn't matter words from people or it doesn't matter. It's just what this one thinks me. It saved you know, everything. Some of my friends in, in high school and first couple of years of college, you know, when I was in that age group, some of them were really good at beating me without leaving a mark. You know, they put an elbow in the back, they choke me, right? You know, MMA type stuff, right? So guys can do that to women too. Did you get to a point where it was like burning bed and you had black eyes and blood coming out the lip or was it more subtle where he's choking you and, you know, not necessarily leaving marks? With with my ex-husband, it was as it was not physical, but the emotional was so bad. And with what I have borderline, the anger and rage that I had, the untreated trauma in me and the 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 financial abuse and the money that was hidden and the lies. I just I could understand that venom from the burning bed from my previous relationship with Mark and the emotional abuse I was going through with my marriage, that hatred. And I mean, I get what she was feeling. I mean, love Farah, she's a goddess, but that I understood that pain just, I, she couldn't take it anymore. So you, so you find yourself in Walmart, you've got a bucket of gasoline in your right hand. You're starting to get the strike all matches. And you're going home with this cocktail of explosiveness in the back of your car. And you get there and you realize he's sleeping. You start to douse his body with gasoline. I'm obviously kidding. So did you ever contemplate having a bigger, stronger guy, maybe beat up a boyfriend of yours? Oh, I have the rage and inner trauma I've had. I have gone 
without shaving my head, Brittany, full out. I have the, the rage that I would get subtly instilled in my head. I didn't realize the triggers and the poking that was being done. And I would just explode. It was like my psycho switch went on. And my ex-husband was terrified of me. Terrified. Marnie, Marnie, you look like the type that if we're together and I piss you off, you're going to take my debit or credit card and go out gambling and shopping. Am I right? Are you deadly with a credit card? I used to be until I became single and learned what the word budget. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's funny how that works. When I'm single, I start to accumulate wealth really quickly. And when I'm with somebody, it just gets taken away. So I'm one of these guys that my whole life, I always thought that the woman's right. And usually the guy is the jerk. But as I got older in experiences, I just had a lot of women that were kind of narcissistic, a little bit mean, um, and then, you know, when you usually break up with somebody there, they become like an enemy. They're just venomous. So Marnie, we all know that you can play this role of this innocent, nice person, but are, are you somebody that it, should a guy be a little fearful of you when you break up with them? Like, do, do you have any weapons yourself? No, the thing is, it's called, um, the thing with men and women. We're on what we're on Venus and you guys are on Mars. We're very different, but the unhealed trauma in most of us, it's, we don't even realize it. Like if a guy doesn't call back, it could bring up like abandonment hypothetically. And for me, I would have wigged out. Why didn't you call me back? But once I healed the trauma and understood why I was upset, like, why is somebody not calling me back? It has nothing to do with me. So now I'm healed. So anybody that gets to hang out with me this time in the forward and future will get the healed version because I understand every situation I talk myself through now and I, and I go, okay, why are you feeling anxious? It's not you. You're just, oh, and, and I talk it through that. I don't let myself get raged anymore. I don't get that outburst. I don't you even look, know. You look, you look so nice and innocent. Will you do me a favor, Marnie? Mm-hmm. Will you just say, you SOB, give me your credit card now? Can you just say that? Give me your, I can't, like, oh gosh, give me your card. No, I can't do it. I See, I think you're fibbing. I think you could. You SOB, give me that credit card now. You're in trouble. Because that's what the exes would always say to me. It was like, oh shit, what did I do? Give me your credit card and then we'll talk about it later. Oh, I would get the phone call. How much did you spend? Why did you spend? It was constant interrogation. Constant. And I was like, fuck you. Sorry. <gasps> Marnie. Now we're going to have to put an explicit rating on the show. So Marnie, the truth is, girls and guys, there's a, it's a complicated thing, right? So I wanted to be 100% on your side, but the reality is you're just too good looking of a person. And with good looking people, there's just always that fear from their significant others that they're cheating or they're not being faithful. And you've even admitted to a couple of those situations. Mm -hmm. Now, while I agree that you would much rather have somebody cheat on you than stab you with a weapon, there there are different forms of of abuse. So, Marnie, do you want to maybe apologize to any of those boys that maybe you broke their heart while we have you on the show? 
I did apologize to Richard. I ran into him recently, a few years ago. Our kids were at the same high school and on parents' night. I said, oh, look, it's like the lockers we used to kiss at. And it was very sweet. And I said, I don't remember what I did, but we made, I made peace with Richard. It sounds like, it sounds like you, f- you flirted with him again, Marnie. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hey, this is the locker where we kissed. Richard, do you want to kiss again? Listen, and yes, I, I probably came across as, but I might, that wasn't my intention. I know. And Mark, I ran into him once at Publix years ago, the supermarket. And I would today, I would get on the microphone and say something, but I had to just heal that part of me. Like the anger I put on him all those years, I just healed that inner child in me and let it go. So I don't know. I don't know if the people at home just heard Marnie, but she just admitted that now she would get on the store micro uh, megaphone and call him out for the abusive guy he was. So note to any guys out there, if you ever meet Marnie from Miami, (laughs) don't, don't make any mistakes. You're going to be in for some trouble. And Marnie, I know that all women say, you SOV, give me your credit card. Am I the only one that's, that's had that abuse? That no, have, is, am I the only one? No, right before my divorce, I went on Amazon and just got everything like just to stock up on. And then I knew it was going to be shut off. So no, it, you're not, it's all girls. It's universal. It's universal. You, know, you know, I think there's one thing that, because I've been divorced. And since you've been married multiple times, you've also been divorced throughout there. Um, I, I think there's one thing couples should do. I honestly think that they should try just being together for a little bit longer before they tie the knot, you know? Um, in your case, one of your marriages, you kind of felt it was really because you had to financially. Was that really a true statement or could you have probably just been a fiance to them for a, for a while while they took care of you? With the timing and the situation, it was just impulsive right here, right now. I met you, right? You have an apartment. Boom. Big. I, that was part of my whole life. Just my impulsive thinking, impulsive spending, impulsive acting, impulsive impulsivity. I mean, that's part of my unhealed trauma too that I went through. I mean, I'm all healed now, but I was a mess. I mean, I, I, I felt like I had that same impulsiveness when I was younger. But if I met a girl that I just, you know, I my, made my heart pump, so to speak, I just felt like I would be like, let's get an apartment together, but not necessarily let's tie the knot. But that might be just a different upbringing that you had. You probably had a lot of aunts and uncles and family members that were constantly married. Um and maybe that did throw in a good seed in, in your brain. Cause I honestly think the world's better with people that are married. Yep. It's, you know, I've never been able to have that fall in love. No one's proposed to me. It was just, please, can I have a house? Please marry me. I, we have a daughter. I need a house. That's how I got married. Now, no, I- although, now, although I said the world's a better place when people are married, gentlemen, if you're listening to Marnie, <laughs> did you hear how she just said, please, I need a house. I need to get married. That's, that's, why, that's why you don't get married, guys. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never yeah. make a pretty woman your wife or an ugly woman. Just stay single for as long as you can. Let me tell you who. Amen to that. <laughs> Marnie, um, you have daughters. Uh, we only have a minute left, but um, your daughters, what age are they? And do you see them going down the same path you are, or are they making better decisions? My daughter is 
21. She is a junior at the University of Florida. And I took her to therapy at 16 when I realized I was becoming who my family was and I didn't want to destroy her. My son, Noah, is 15 and he has a rare genetic disorder and he is special needs. So I'm a mom of a special needs son who is 15, who was cyber bullied got the shit beat out of him. So that's a whole nother show. And um, I Marnie, am- as of right now, you are single. Yes, I am. Are you, are asking you, no, are, are you looking to g- give, g- tell, tell the guys out there that you're available? <laughs> <laughs> she's available. She's got a daughter. She's got a daughter that needs to pay for one more year of college at the University of Florida. And I'll vouch for Marnie. Drop dead gorgeous. Marnie, you are a cutie pie. I, uh, I hope that you enjoyed coming on the show. We enjoyed having you. Can we count on you to come again in the future and share another story with us? Uh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. And I promise in the future we won't have her mention last names. Those poor guys. They're going to get beat up on social media now. Hey, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you guys for coming. you for joining us again for another episode of jesse jameson and friends we hope you had as much fun as we did be sure to tune in again next week for another great story jesse jameson and friends is heard every sunday at 2 p.m eastern time and 11 a.m pacific time jesse jameson and friends is a proud presentation of the voice america talk radio network all rights reserved